to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account this unrepresentative swell over there. G'day, Robert. Hey, Nick. How you going, mate? I'm fantastic. Glad to be back with you again on the pod. It is new fantastic. Week. And, you know, it's always nice to welcome in the new week with a podcast. Absolutely. Weather is looking really fine today. We're finally moving slightly away from the cold and rainy weather in WA. Yeah. It's been, it was fucking cold, like, in the evenings, uh, like, over the weekend. Oh, yeah, true. It was freezing. Um, but we're getting nice sunny days. Yeah. Dare I say spring has sprung. Well, officially it has. De- yeah. On September. We, September 1st, which I think was a really like cloudy, gross ga- day, right? Yeah, it was. See, that's why I resent these artificial kind of categories of seasons. You know, it's it's really a yeah, vibe, absolutely. isn't it, Rob? It's a vibe. Well, you know, the Wajak Noongar people actually had six seasons. That's, that's yeah, I, I actually did know that. I can't believe you just threw that. I feel very off-put by that. Um, just memeing around with my vibes, then you hit me with some cultural knowledge. Well, like, I just think that's very interesting because, like, these people that know the land better than anyone think there's six seasons in southwest of WA. And I reckon it wouldn't be determined by some sort of random arbitrary date. It'd be like, all right, last week it's been kind of, like, a little bit more sunny, so we'll move into the next season. I, I believe that is true. From, from what I learned, we did a cultural awareness training at the start of law and they talked about that. And I believe that's what they said. That's good. I've, yeah, I agree with the Wajuk Noongar people on that one, actually. there's uh, The four kind of seasons is a bit arbitrary, kind of a Western construction, Eurocentric construction, do you think, Rob? Absolutely. And in my mind, there's only two seasons. <laughs> so <laughs> That's true I'm as even well. further yeah. removed from, <laughs> from the Noongar people. All right, Rob, let's get into it. All right, no worries, mate. Quick little recap on the week. Climate change. Happening? Nah, I don't know. So Start, Scientific data is still out on it. I'm not sure. Consensus <laughs> not there yet. So, obviously, we had that hurricane tear through the eastern and uh, southwest United States uh, last week. Really terrible. Some deaths caused from that. Huge property damage as well mass evacuations and then something that no one expected is that some of the storm went into the new york city area and caused severe flooding yeah at one point the entire subway system was down because of floods uh it caused deaths in in new york city as well really terrible stuff yeah i don't think new york's well known for its natural disasters right no, it was it never happened before. I'm Maybe they have a little bit of snowstorms every now and then, but I think this is truly it's got to show at least something that these areas that don't experience natural disasters often and don't experience flooding of all natural disasters are now experiencing these natural disasters. Like what's changed, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, New York City already a very progressive area, so I don't think they're really changing anyone's minds there. Yeah, well, we got we got to be careful to be like, oh, well, these guys fucking deserve it because they voted for Trump in 2016 or something. Maybe in the Southwest, but, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got to be careful to just fucking bash people for not believing in climate change because then they won't change their mind. It's true. It's true. 
Uh, although increasingly, does that matter? I feel like you know, Biden actually has a very pro-climate change agenda. Yeah, he does, but like nothing's I, really going to change. I yet, think right? we need, yeah, we need the the developing countries and countries like Australia to get on board. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's going to be tough. But yeah. yeah, I think like surely it's not a coincidence. Surely everyone can agree that we see these one in a hundred year, one in a thousand year floods, seemingly every single year. And this is like one in a none year because it's never exactly. happened before. <laughs> and like when you hear that, it's like, oh, it's one in a hundred years, you know. It's like, no, this is this is clearly happening every single fucking year. Yeah. Like John Barilaro says that all the time. Whenever like new, rural New South Wales experience drought, flooding or fires, he's like, one in a hundred years doesn't happen. And it's happened like four times under his watch. Yeah, I know. What do you yeah. think? I mean, the writing's on the wall. Will we get... Yeah, will we face the extinction level event? Who knows? Man. Again, I don't want to bash people for not believing in climate change, but... Uh, Believe in climate you know, change. <laughs> at, at least a lot of dumb people will die. Uh, no, I, don't think <laughs> I don't think they will die. I think it'll be the poor people who will die first, which is ironic, isn't it? Yeah, it is, unfortunately. Pacific Island nations are already sinking, so they're going to have to evacuate soon. Yeah. Um, yeah, truly sad. And I, uh, I was actually listening to um, a podcast by you would know them. They're called the Grey Cricketer. Oh yeah. And they like talked for like twenty minutes about how climate change could affect cricket. And they're like, oh mate, might be a bit dif- difficult to get cow leather for the balls, and like, you know, we're gonna have to play on drier surfaces. Oh, this sounds like an informed discussion. It was actually really interesting yeah. because uh, surprisingly enough, cricket will be drastically affected by climate change. Yeah. I think so many activities will. It's going to cause huge food shortages, and yeah. it already has in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so many different problems on so many levels that aren't being fully appreciated yet because we're just trying to get anyone's attention about the the base issue, politicians' yeah. attention, I should say. Absolutely. And Nick, I've heard this argument a lot before. This has gone on a bit of a tangent, but I don't care. It's my podcast. Also. <laughs> um. I've heard that a lot of talk, like people saying, you know, a key issue here is that all politicians are really fucking old and will die before climate change has its worst effect. I see. Not in their interest to act. Yeah. And I'm just intrigued to see what you think. Do you think young people, if they were in power, would have better uh, policies surrounding this? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Isn't that, doesn't that point to a fundamental problem of representation in this country is that i guarantee that if the representative young person was in parliament they would absolutely do way more in their power to take action on climate change and yeah the the politicians are supposed to represent those people and by young i mean like yeah people under 30 like all people yeah no i agree i i broadly agree i still i still think a lot of people like people can emote to younger ages still right yeah. Um, but no, I, I agree on the whole idea of representation not mirroring society is fucking dreadful Ooh, Yeah, in I, all Western democracies. Really. I, I think there's just a fundamental issue of representation because when climate change is an issue that the vast majority of people want action on in this country, and you know, survey poll after survey poll shows that, why as a prime minister and as a government would you not take action? Yeah, it's just such a fundamental disconnect, and yeah, that that representation is supposed to be at the heart of the system. But well, that's because we have local representation. I think Nick, 
you yeah. know, some seats yeah. are more valuable than others. Yeah, well, it does, and it those gets happen lost. to be the seats that are anti-climate change. It, it gets lost in all the bits and pieces, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's really sad. Anyway, moving on from that tangent. Yeah. Interesting story out of Afghanistan. Um, there's still rebel holdout areas, apparently. Uh, and apparently they won this huge victory yesterday on Sunday and captured a thousand Taliban fighters. Right. Kind of. I don't know. What What does it mean now? I think we'll just... Yeah, I, I think I guess we'll just watch this space. I, I, I don't know if they'll be able to hold out. Yeah. But... Yeah, maybe maybe it'll be one of those kind of permanent, like very long civil war kind of situations, like in Syria, in Afghanistan, long civil wars. I'm not sure. <laughs> Gee, don't go out on too much of a limb there, Nick. Uh, just keeping keeping a tab on that one. We'll, we'll yeah, return yeah. to that next week, of I course. Uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk, meanwhile, in Queensland, in Australia, got quite controversial last week. I think the media and public, at least outside of Queensland, song very hard against her. She did a, a big Mark McGowan style, but even I think worse, or considered worse, uh, you know, kind of moral panic where she was like, we're not gonna, never going to open up the borders. She said uh, that there was no way that children could be protected, under children under 12. Yeah. She was like, we've got to wait till children under 12 are vaccinated. But there's no vaccine for children under 12. There's no vaccine yeah. in the world for children under 12. So I think everyone, the consensus it, was she very, was kind of freaking out. Yeah, it's very... Um Maud Flanders, somebody think of the children. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. From Mate. Alastasia. Yeah, that's some great. The, you know the uh, Facebook page, The Simpsons Against the Liberals? Yeah. yeah. So you should write for them, Rob. Yeah, man. I've actually started watching The Simpsons with my with my lovely girlfriend, uh, the prime like Simpsons from the 90s. Yeah. And man, because that show's been basically a zombie of its former self for so long, you forget how brilliant it was. Yeah, people um, often say that. I, I I just like kind of go back and I don't think it's that funny anymore. But maybe I'm watching the watching the wrong stuff, mate. Season three, season eight, beautiful. I'll go check it out. Fun fact, actually, um, I watched uh, the episode Mister Plow on The Simpsons the other day, which is the first ever cartoon comedy or any comedy for that matter to mention global warming. Wow, really? Yep, did it in. There you I go. think it was 1991. Wow. And uh, Ken Brockman's like. Uh, like after a big year of um, like snow, it like melts away like in a second. And he's like, if this is the global warming effect, forgive me if I drive my gas guzzling car. <laughs> Which um, really shows the attitude of the time. That didn't age well. Yeah, no, it didn't that age didn't well, that age one. Well, yeah. Uh, after Al Gore lost in, what, 2001 or something? Yeah. All kind of destroyed action on climate change for the next decade, so... Good, good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, people kind of, you know, turning against Anastasia there, at least outside of Queensland. Mark kind of had a different take on it, which we'll get to. But just quickly, uh, Dan Andrews also admitting last week that officially not going to be able to eliminate the virus. They're essentially now in the same situation as New South Wales. 246 new cases today. Yeah, it's spectacular how this hasn't been controlled in victoria in my eyes the fact they locked down within a day of delta getting in there and it hasn't been controlled and there doesn't seem to be any reduction in numbers it seems very random still and it had a lot today um so it truly shows how uh transmissible it, it, it must just be a certain degree of luck, I think, Rob, because yeah. the you know, Melbourne locked down and got rid of the Delta outbreak a few months ago. Yeah, uh, while Sydney was still struggling, 
and they were able to eliminate the virus in that case. But now they just, you know, I think they've just said, realistically, we're not going to be able to do this again. So it must be, you know, to do with the transmissibility of the first few virus carriers, maybe. Yep, absolutely, Nick. But, yeah, obviously that's really not good. And 1,500 new cases in New South Wales over the weekend. Bizarre. Gladys says um, hopefully they'll, the peak is coming next week and then things will get better, question mark. But they did hit 70% vaccinations last week. First yeah, doses, that's great. So, um, I guess it really shows how, you know, when you contrast us to New South Wales, the fact that the immediate threat of the virus really encourages vaccination. Yeah. Compared to, like, we were, like, 40% first doses, right? Yeah, they also are getting more vaccine. We should mention that, but, yeah, true as well. And yeah. Well, I think Mark highlighted the key thing, actually, is people are getting AstraZeneca in New South Wales. Hmm. And people don't want to get AstraZeneca in WA. Yeah, because Unless we're you're kind of cool like me. You know, I get, it, to the listeners, actually, I got my first vaccine on Wednesday gone. What a hero. And I get my second one on the 22nd of September, which is the day after you get your second one. Uh, yeah, the day after. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe the day before, yeah, I'm not no. sure. Well, I'll book it in so it's the day after. So um, I'll still be fully vaxxed for you. And I just want to point out so that's... how funny it is that you grand gestured the whole like eight weeks or whatever while you had AstraZeneca. I'm putting my body on the line, you know? Meanwhile, I'm able to get two in the time that you took. Uh, just wanna, just wanna let you know. Speaking of vax in WA, Rob, obviously we're going to address because we are WA boys. Mark McGowan's kind of clarification of his position last yeah. week after national cabinet because he was also on a similar line to Anastasia for a little bit, saying like, "Yo, we can't abide by the national plan to open up when there's seventy percent vaccinations." So he's clarified and said. When it's going to be something like when WA gets 80% fully vaccinated, then there'll be like a six week announcement where everyone else has the opportunity to get vaccinated and then the the borders will open up. And he said, basically, the modeling shows that at 70% vaccination, if you were to do the same thing, there would be, in his view, too many deaths and the strain on the health system would be too much. Yeah, I think the strain on the health system is a very important point to make. Um, because me and you were actually discussing before, like, you know, what is the economic cost of a, of a death, right? Um, which I know is very kind of Rubik's Cube, uh, thinking, you know, not valuing human life and not having emotions, but we got, we got to really make those calls, right? Um, and it's unfortunate, I know, but Nick, I think that the strain, strain on the health system, which could be, lead to more economic cost than the benefit of opening up is the point that I really want to stress if I'm a big supporter of Mark McGowan. So it's a, it's kind of a similar situation to New South Wales as well because they're facing the similar problem of when do we open up based on what vaccination level. And New South Wales will soon be in the position of being 70% vaccinated because if they've got 70% first dose, obviously those people are going to get the second dose and it's going to happen in four to six weeks. Yep. So they'll be in the position where they're at seventy percent fully vaccinated, which is quite a quite a you know, impressive feat. And Gladys is signalling that that might be when she releases a lot of those, eases a lot of those restrictions. Yeah, I wonder what kind of strain uh, on the health system you'll see and how many deaths. Absolutely, Nick. Um, 
I think if I was Gladys, this is what I'd do differently. I think you'd still have to pay at least some attention to case numbers themselves rather than just looking at the vaccination rate. And if you use those two numbers uh, in conjunction, I think you can get a better idea of what the COVID situation in your state is like. Which, you know, for example, Nick, if case numbers are dropping when we do see that 70% vaccination, then I think it's fine to release it. But if we're still seeing numbers as high as 1,500, I don't think it's very appropriate to open up the state. Yeah, I I just wonder about those numbers because if they're just spreading among the unvaccinated, that's going to happen anyway. I, I, I get... I Look, I don't really know. I just... I think the fundamental problem in Australia is that our experience of COVID has been so rooted in our kind of local context where we've been able to eliminate it for so long and hundreds of cases are a huge problem. That's like a nightmare scenario. Yeah. Well, a nightmare scenario in Europe and you know, the US is thousands and thousands and thousands of cases. Well, a thousand cases to them is nothing. Take, yeah. for example, me and Rob just watched the Dutch Grand Prix last night. Netherlands has 70% vaccination and they had a huge sporting event with you know, packed stands. And they, they have a few thousand cases a day of COVID, but that's acceptable to them. They're just going to keep living and moving on. And you know that involves deaths, but the deaths will be primarily vast majority unvaccinated older people yeah uh, so yeah they like at some point you have to be like okay well, we have to move on and come to a sustainable position here we yeah can't no lock down forever i th- I think the i think there is consensus amongst all people no matter where they stand on current lockdowns that there has to be at least some uh exit out what my proposal to you, Nick, uh, just maybe to play devil's advocate, maybe because that's what I believe, who knows, um, is there's this theory in international relations called constructivism. Here we, here we go. And it's the theory that, um, you know, in international relations, uh, countries act upon cultural experiences, history, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that can be really well applied to the COVID pandemic itself. Uh, influences such as Australia does not have any borders, so it's much easier to control travel compared to Europe where it's just like, you know, if you really want to in Europe, you can just sneak across the border. And in the EU now, it's incredibly easy, right? So I think that uh, that increased transmission in Europe for starters at the very start of the pandemic and has thus changed their view on that. So maybe that's a, you know, a bit of an influence. And another thing is, surely with the amount of economic benefit that Australia has seen from uh, having elimination uh, in those months where a lot of other nations were still really grappling with the virus itself, surely it's, it's more beneficial for Australia to remain at an extreme suppression rather than a looser suppression. I, I think I might flat out disagree with you, Rob. This might be the first time on the podcast that this has really happened. Okay. I've kind of, over the far past five minutes, formed the view that at least WA should open before. Like 80, 80% vaccination. Are we even going to get there? How long is that going to take? Yeah. Well, I think clearly we need to sort vaccination still. It's still very difficult for some reason. Yeah. With the supply and hesitancy as well, you know. Yeah. I, I just think if we say lockdown... If we keep our borders closed until then, I mean, yeah. To be fair, Mark has said if we get the virus here, that is a completely different situation. Yeah, but still, to block out everyone from the east, I don't know. 
I don't I know. know I I agree that something clearly needs to happen, and clearly needs to happen soon because it's getting it. People are getting more and more frustrated with restrictions, and I think that's just kind of um, emblematic of the last year that we've experienced, where we see other countries which are dealing with huge COVID outbreaks, but seem to have still greater freedoms than us. Yeah. Um, and it's just general. I think lockdown and restriction fatigue is a is a serious thing that maybe hasn't been, um, you know, researched as deeply as maybe the vaccines themselves, guys. Yeah. Well, so it's maybe just, get them. People, it's very easy to see deaths and to see the cost in a death. Very yeah. hard to see the cost in prolonged lockdown in all the kind of ways that affects adults and children as well who have to learn remotely. So Yeah, absolutely. Very no. complicated. But, Rob, we must move on. We will obviously consider this later as well as the situation evolves. Wanted to look briefly at the passage of very controversial anti-abortion laws. Yeah, in, in Texas. Texas, in the United States, kind of came out of nowhere, Rob. And the strange thing is, is that it it is in at the face of it an unconstitutional bill in the United States or piece of legislation. Yeah, because Roe v. Wade, that famous case, is the precedent in the Supreme Court that gives a right to abortion to women in the United States and any law that suppresses that right is unconstitutional. Uh-huh. But they've managed to sneak past that that constitutional precedent by passing this law using a weird bounty system and everyone is probably aware of this. It takes away the power from the state executive, so like the Texas Attorney General basically. And gives the power to enforce the law to the people through a bounty system where you report if, say, an abortion clinic is op- offering an abortion to uh, a woman who's been pregnant longer than six weeks, which is now the rule in Texas, is you can't have, can't have an abortion after six weeks. So citizens report this in, and it makes it very difficult to prosecute these cases because ordinarily you would, uh, as an abortion clinic, say... Uh, prosecute the Attorney General of Texas and say this law is unconstitutional but you can't do that because yep. he, he's not enforcing the law so who do you actually prosecute and the Supreme Court in the US actually answered this issue it procedurally got its way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court in a 5-4 to four majority said we can't rule on this they essentially threw in the towel and said hey Texas you've bypassed judicial discretion Great. So the Constitution, you can bypass it if you enforce bounty. So realistically, in the US, you could just maybe ban guns, but you know. Well, this, is, <laughs> this is something they said on this podcast I was listening to. They said, hey, you've found this way to bypass judicial discretion. Maybe progressives in California or New York yeah. <laughs> could do a same bounty system with guns and say, if, you know, hey, you know, it's your Fourth Amendment right to have guns, but we're going to say that if a citizen sees you with a gun, they're going to report you in and that's actually against the law. Yep. And the Supreme Court would have to say the same thing, you know? Yeah. Well, they've set precedent now. And I want to say it was those five conservative judges, including Trump's appointees. So the first dude, I don't remember, then Amy, Amy, uh, Amy someone, and then Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, two other former conservative justices against the four progressive justices. And the four progressive justices were basically saying, hang on, we can't, for, you know, for the good of the justice system, we can't let them bypass completely 
judicial discretion. Like that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Um, I don't know about you, but you know, you're a big lawyer guy, so I'm not sure how interesting talking about U.S. constitutional uh, trickery is to the listeners. Probably not. Yeah, I think I, would, to be honest, mate, I'd really like to talk about this uh, bill's effect on women. Would you would you like to talk about that? Well, I'm not a woman, so I want to say it right off the bat. Yeah, I also I no want to say that right off the bat. <laughs> but obviously, if you see it, listen to women talk about this issue, it's, it has a really profound effect. Yeah. Um, I think the overwhelming emotion that I've seen is pain, anger, and sadness, uh, usually in order. Yeah. It is truly, truly devastating to see this because so many women, you know, lives can be ruined through uh, unplanned pregnancies and there can be a lot of issues surrounding how women got pregnant, um, usually because men are awful and would, you know, rape women. And the fact that you can't, you know, get rid of that and focus on your own life rather you have to have this child truly speaks real volumes about the depravity of this bill. Yeah. And and besides that as well, it's just a fundamental attack on female bodily autonomy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's one of those, again, crazy ironies in the ideology of the conservative right in America, because they're all for gun toting freedom when it comes to freedom for female bodily autonomy, no, that's that that can't be allowed. And, you know, it's, of course, privileged white males in the Republican legislature, which, by the way, are absolutely the kind of people who pass this law who are making those calls about female bodily autonomy. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the hypocrisy and the depravity in that is, is quite horrific, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, man, I... Couldn't agree more with what you said, really. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like we just shouldn't say more on that because if you want to think of, if you, if you want to know about the impact of the bill, you I think you need to listen to women speak about it. Yeah, no, great point, Nick. What Who are we to um, 100%. really know? Yeah. There's an interesting thing uh, that happened as well in response to this bill, Rob, is we saw another bout of hacktivism um, and the collective power of the internet uh, because they had a website to kind of facilitate this bounty system where in Texas you could report if if an abortion clinic was, say, offering an abortion that was illegal. And even crazy things like under the law, an Uber driver, say, who took a female to an abortion clinic uh, for the purposes of having an abortion could be prosecuted under this law, which is so draconian yeah. and ridiculous, isn't it? So the hack people on TikTok flooded this website with just fake you know a bunch of like memes basically and also just like people wrote algorithms to make fake uh submissions to the website completely make it useless great awesome and it reminds me of last year when a similar thing happened to a trump rally oh yeah you'll remember that no one ended up turning turning up to that rally because (laughs) so many people you know made tickets for the sake of it bought fake tickets and it's a similar thing here where you're seeing a huge... Yeah, and then this is just that huge juxtaposition in the US, isn't it? With the progressive, young, liberal, 
states of the US, so California's and also everywhere else as well. Even parts of Texas, actually. Yeah, true. Uh, and then the huge ideological jump to those really deep conservative yeah. parts of the US. Uh, and is, isn't this, and, you know, technology as well. Isn't this yeah. kind of uh, such a good illustration of the huge divide in that country? Yeah. And well done to people that have done that. Um, hacktivism, as you've called it. Very nicely put, by the way. I did not coin you that You didn't term. come up with that, no. <laughs> um, I wonder what Texas's, uh, you know, child support laws are like. Because I think that's another interesting point of if women are forced to have these children and most likely, you know, in some way forced to look after them, where, you know, where's the man, for example? Yeah. I can't imagine those laws are very good or very progressive. Exactly. I so I think, you know, it's it may be difficult for men to empathize, but if you think about it that way, you know, men can often just kind of be very absent in the post-pregnancy life of a woman, uh, whereas women have to always be, you know, somewhat there. And it, it you know, it's truly speaks of how this law is, I think, clearly has sexist uh, overtones, not even undertones. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then the, the fear is that uh, the similar laws will be passed in other red states across the US now that the Supreme Court has said that basically this is... This uh, is legal. Yeah, something you can do, just bypass Roe v. Wade. Yeah. So that is that is a big fear. There are some, you know, shining lights at the end of the tunnel. Uh, apparently, there are certain ways that the law can be directly challenged. So if an abortion clinic was to actually offer an abortion to a woman after six weeks, there and they were challenged on that under the law, they could raise as a defence that the law is unconstitutional. So there are ways potentially out of this, but it seems like they're not going to materialize soon. But yeah. if if similar legislation is passed across the country, maybe we will see that. Because the Supreme Court hasn't overturned that, orig- that Roe v. Wade, which says that abortion, anti-abortion laws are unconstitutional. So hopefully this turns out more favorably yeah. in the next year or so. Um, just to finish off, Nick, I've got two final points to make. I think this shows... Two key issues when you make uh, body autonomy, as you've called it, which I think is a great way of putting it, by the way. Uh, when you make that a political issue, how toxic and venomous it can be to real life and real people. And secondly, when you make the courts, which, you know, in every other country in the world, aside from China, North Korea, etc., if you make the courts tied to the executive in any way, shape, or form, if you make them political, this is what happens. You get issues where when you get, you know, political issues becoming, you know, law. And we see with five conservative judges saying, no, can't make rulings yeah, on the this. perfect conservative liberal split. Um, saying, you know, we can't make a ruling on this when clearly they can. It's unconstitutional. Yeah. And, you know, just go back and listen to the uh, interviews with Amy Cohen Barrett, uh, who was the latest Trump appointee. She's a nutcase. She's absolutely... Yeah, she's part of those like speaking tongue churches, right? Yeah, she's got some really 
strange, ultra-conservative, religious fundamentalist views, and you just think, is this someone who you want in the highest judicial office in the in the land? Obviously not. Yeah. Anyway, we must wrap up, Rob. Yeah, very sorry to end it on that. And so, Nick, do you want to <laughs> tell us the socials? Uh, I don't actually know the socials. Why don't you hit us with the socials, okay. Rob? Again, very sorry that we do these tacky social promotions right after talking about very serious topics. But with that said, uh, at Unrepresentative Swill on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, and at Swill Podcast on Twitter. There you go. Thanks very much for listening, Yeah, thank you for listening. Hopefully some more positive news around the world next week. Great. Okay.